0: Rome once fell, and all great civilizations do. Is America falling? Could we be doing more? Some say it's because we have stopped focusing on learning and understanding what it means to be a good citizen. That's what this podcast is all about. If civics is dead, what happens next? Welcome to Civics is Dead. I'm Cindy Schwartz. Let's not waste any time, because we can't. 2018 analysis published by the American Historical Association says that currently about five history degrees are awarded per 1,023 year olds who have graduated from American colleges and or universities. And although the National Center for Education Statistics tells us that from 2005-2006 to 2015-2016, about 10 years, the number of bachelor's degrees increased by almost 30 percent, of those degrees were given in the biological and biomedical sciences. While degrees for health professionals more than doubled, English language and literature degrees dropped by 22%. And degrees in education and liberal arts and sciences took a hit prompting Michael T. Nitzel, President Emeritus of Missouri State University, and a writer for Forbes to comment, and I quote, the student flight from these fields is unmistakable. So, should we be concerned? In today's podcast, we will explore the current state of history as a major on college campuses today through the lens of three college students from Long Island University in Brookville, New York. And these majors are Andrew, Amanda, and John. Their history professor, Dr. Molly Tambor, was the subject of our previous episode. But before we move into our new interview with our boots on the ground students, let's remember this, the health and continuation of democracy in America is predicated upon the survival of citizen participation in our government and ultimately our society as a whole. Since its inception during the early 1830s under the guiding light of a gentleman by the name of Horace Mann, public education has been seen as a means of encouraging good citizenship and common American values that we all share, such as justice for all. Public education has also served as a bridge that helps move poor urban children out of the cycle of poverty so that they can contribute to the best of their abilities in our political and economic system. Public ed was a way and continues to be a way today to even out the playing field so that all students can ultimately participate in our democracy, not just the children of the wealthy and the elite, who historically were the only ones who could really afford an education prior to this education reform movement led by Horace Mann in the mid-1800s. History majors are becoming a thing of the past, except in the Ivy League, Mark Wartman writes. And I quote, while understandable, the sharp decline in studying the past should worry all of us, not just history professionals, few history majors, and even fewer of those who take history courses while in college become historians, but they do move on to become citizens. Wartman goes on to say, and I quote, an epidemic of historical amnesia already plagues this country which has often paid a terrible price and done grave harm to other foreign people and lands due to its ignorance of the past. Did America's annexing of Hawaii in 1898, which forced the abdication of Queen Liliuokalani, Kalani, pair with our founding fathers' beliefs in the democratic values and self-determination? I wonder how many people know that. And if we don't have people majoring in history, and if we don't teach history well, will anyone know that? Did the American colonization of the Philippines after a three-year war that resulted in over 20,000 Filipino casualties and over 4,200 American casualties represent American values of liberty and self-determination? I wonder again if people know about that. Filipinos had been promised independence after the United States defeated Spain in a war very few remember from school called the Spanish-American War of 1898. The U.S. compensated Spain. We paid them $20 million, and the Philippines essentially became a colony of the United States. Many see that as hypocritical. Since we were a colony of Great Britain, how could we have a colony of our own? Over 4,200 Americans and over 20,000 Filipinos died, as we said, When the Filipinos fought the United States for their independence, that they had been promised between the years of 1899 and 1902. Eventually, the Philippines became a U.S. Commonwealth with some measure of self-government under the Jones Act. But independence was not to be granted to the Philippines by the United States until after World War II in 1946. So we can use these historical examples to illustrate moments in American history that conflict with our core values of democratic rule. And not having college students knowledgeable of major events like these can lead to a myopic view of American history, one that stresses our exceptionalism rather than a more realistic view of our history, like histories of most countries, as histories that are filled with events we are proud of at times and events we may regret or some that we question. Studying history helps us shed light on who we were as a people, who we are now as a people and who we will become as a people. Decreasing the amount of time spent in the elementary, secondary and college level classroom on social studies, history and civics, lessens our ability to honor our past, learn from our past and to maintain a functioning democracy Where citizens are knowledgeable about their rights and the need to protect the legal and inalienable rights of others. This leads us to address two questions on today's podcast. Are American college students choosing to major in history? And if so, what do they hope to pursue in terms of a career as history majors? If democracy as we have known it and participation are important, we need committed, knowledgeable students to pursue the study of American history, government, and civics, so that they can know when history is repeating itself, and so that we can learn from that.
1: You're listening to a podcast from LIU Studios. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to this show on your podcast app of choice. For more of our programs, or to support LIU Studios, visit wcwp.org. My name is Robert.
2: I moderate a program that I like to think is inquisitive, unusual, provocative, informative. It's called Seldom Said. It's a place where things are spoken of and discussed. They're usually not given a wide audience. Yet things that are important, things that affect our lives. It's a world in flux. Be ahead of the curve. Be with us on Seldom Said.
1: Visit WCWP.org slash Seldom Said to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice.
0: In our last episode, I sat down with Hofstra University professor, Dr. Molly Tambor to discuss the reality of teaching history on her college campus in this age of the marginalization of history. And prior to speaking with Dr. Tambor, I spoke with her department chairperson, Dr. Heather Parrott. And Dr. Heather Parrott, the chairperson informed me that her history department consisted of only two full-time history teachers as of the fall of 2019, only two. She told me that there were usually three full-time history professors, but that one was on a fellowship in Latin America. Hence, currently, as of the fall of 2019, there were only two history professors. In the way past, Dr. Parrott stated, there were six full-time professors and then noted that there had been, and I quote, a decline in support for the liberal arts and humanities. Interestingly enough, Dr. Tambor told me then that currently, as of the fall of 2019, there was not one Americanist on staff, meaning not one professor who was an American history specialist who was teaching at the college. We wonder how that is possible at an American institution of higher learning. Dr. Tambor, one of the two history professors teaching during the fall 2019 semester, was kind enough to allow three of her senior seminar students to engage in an interview for Civics is Dead. Our mission? To discover what motivated these students to major in history, during a time when a 2018 article in Time magazine entitled, Fewer students are majoring in history, but were asking the wrong questions about why, This article tells us that the University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, plans to eliminate history as a major, and other schools have reduced funding and eliminated positions. We say to ourselves, is that really possible in America? And we pose the question, why major in history, and can a history major even find work post-graduation? For these three students, Andrew, Amanda, and John, the motivation for becoming a college history major seems to be rooted in their love for their earliest social studies teachers, coupled with a supportive home environment that encouraged some political discourse.
3: I've always been a massive law nerd. Like, I love civil law, criminal law. I actually wanted to be a police officer initially, but then I sustained a knee injury, which prevented me from running and kind of need to run to be a police officer. So I looked at what else I loved and social studies took the top. And it was just kind of, you know, following the track till there.
2: It really is about the teacher, I feel like. I remember in high school, the first teacher I had really brought it to life, like using a little plastic rat to talk about the bubonic plague, things like that.
0: The support from home was also pivotal for Amanda in terms of pursuing history. My
3: stepfather was a Marine. So even now that he's out of it, he pays very close attention to what's going on in the country in terms of how the government's running, what politics are. And he was actually the one that also kind of pushed me to look into history as a potential career because he would always help me with my homework and then show me all these old books he collected over the years.
0: I was curious as to why these three students chose history. What factors were involved? Did they get any blowback from their family at home from majoring in history?
2: And originally, when I chose to come to post, I was a history education major, it's like the same idea of be a high school teacher. And then I just kind of got out of that idea. And I mean, my, my family supported me with that, and because my grandmother was a teacher before she retired. And just even when I stopped choosing, like I was like, I'm going to choose something else. They still supported me in history, and then I kind of found more of like archival work. So it's a bit more hands-on with history.
0: Let's listen to what John had to say about his decision to choose history as a major and how his family and friends responded.
1: My family was always pretty supportive of me, but I remember like even to this day when I tell people I'm a history major, I'm always asked two questions. Are you gonna be a lawyer or a teacher?
0: Amanda's family was very happy with her choice to become a history major and perhaps go the teacher route.
3: My parents were definitely happier that I wanted to go the teacher route, especially with the things that were happening to police officers at the time, unfortunately. And so they definitely supported me through and through. I mean, I have teachers in my family, but most of them were saying, you know, you can't make a career out of it. You only get the good bonuses and benefits once you're tenured. So they were trying to push me to be a lawyer since I liked law or do something in the legal field because they saw that as more lucrative. But for me, it sounds kind of stupid, but it's never been about the money for me because one thing I heard, it was a quote in one of my high school classes. It said, if you love what you do, you're never gonna work a day in your life.
0: I wondered how well these students felt that they were prepared for taking college level history classes. We cited numerous studies during the first season of Civics is Dead and in our last two shows of season two about how the teaching of social studies, American government and civics has taken more of a backseat to math, technology and English language arts. So we can't help but wonder if our students felt prepared for the rigors of college level historical reading and writing.
3: Growing up as a history nerd, I already loved the subject and you need to have passion for something because otherwise it's just gonna be meaningless to you and you're not gonna wanna put in the extra effort. But aside from that, you know, I took a scale class. It's like AP, but it's a step below it. took two of those and those definitely helped me because it's at the college level we had one of the professors from here come in a couple times to teach us and thankfully my high school teachers also aside from that class you know they hit us with the thing critically you know they would give us papers back and all the notes would say dive more into this or look back into this so i already learned how to go deeper than that and analyze, well, what is the deeper meaning of this have to do with the whole story? And looking for the details that make it more than just something that happened 40 to 400 years ago.
0: So Amanda felt fairly well-prepared for college-level work. Listen to what Andrew had to say about this. It's
3: a bit
2: a different scenario for me, where it was very much, it was focused on more of the surface level of work, where it was more of teaching, not to the test, but it was more comparison, very like, not analyzing, but comparing the two events. I remember an AP test had us like discuss the differences between those world religions or world ideologies, and like, it, you, you can't analyze that, it's just, here's one thing, why are they different, how are they similar, things like that. And while it prepared me a bit with writing, like I felt when I got to college, my first class felt like I'm coming from high school into something that I've never heard or never even thought about before. And I remember asking the first night in the class, I was like, do you think that I can do this? Because I was a freshman going into an upper level class. and. I mean, I was able to succeed in it, and through that and the other history classes, I definitely got improved my
0: skills. John talks about how high school did very little to actually prepare him for college level reading and writing. He says he had very little training in analysis when reading and writing, but college history classes have strengthened his reading and writing skills for sure.
1: For me, I never took any AP classes in high school. I was always in the general classes. I'll say this, like, I do not think I really learned any, like, it definitely made me interested and really like history just because I like the time periods better than what is taught in college. Even like I don't really get taught analysis and I feel like even the tests, like I could say as a history major, except for like the first year I was in college as a freshman when it was general classes for like general requisites. Like I haven't taken a single test since then. Like it's all just writing papers. It's all will maybe really like a five, six page paper.
0: So of the three students, one felt prepared for college-level historical reading and writing, and two did not. Perhaps this fits right in with our thesis, that social studies, history, and civics are not taught at the level we need them to be. During our students' foundational years, Our mission at Civics is Dead is to enlighten our listening audience about the marginalization of social studies, American history, and civics in the public school classroom, especially at the elementary school level, and how this may pose a grave danger to the future of democracy in America. If we aren't able to find more than 30 minutes per day to teach the importance of our history and the responsibilities of being an American citizen, how can we ever expect our children to continue this democratic experiment? How can we expect them to think that democracy is important? How can we expect a new generation to know when democracy is threatened if they don't know when it was threatened in the past? Ultimately, is our survival as a democracy possible if two out of three Americans cannot pass our very own citizenship exam? With that in mind, I asked our three guest college students some of the questions that are on the United States citizenship exam to see how they would do. I must say that they seemed uneasy as I told them what we were about to do, but to put them more at ease, I simply stated that this would be an eye-opening experience that we needed to learn from. Here are some of the responses our three college history students gave when given a series of questions from the United States Citizenship Exam. The first question was, what are the first three words of the Constitution? Is it we the people? Andrew answered correctly, but he answered hesitatingly with a question mark. But ultimately, he was right. Then I asked, what is an amendment? And here were the responses. Now just imagine you're from a foreign country. There was a chuckle from Amanda and no one seemed comfortable with this question until John responded with.
1: So an amendment, I'm assuming is like a add-on to the original constitution.
0: And how many amendments are there to the Constitution? Fifty-six. There are actually 27 amendments to the Constitution. None of the three students who were history majors knew that. But remember, two-thirds of all Americans don't know that either. Then I asked, what is one right or freedom from the First Amendment? John responded,
1: Freedom of speech, right to pray. Freedom of the press is used each day.
0: Okay. Then I asked, what did the Declaration of Independence do? Here was one response. After a few seconds of silence from all the students, Andrew then said,
2: I feel like I'm falling into a trap here, but it declared the independence of the 13 colonies from Britain that it broke, it officially broke them away, or founded the nation, essentially.
0: We then shifted to economics questions. And I asked if any of our students could name the economic system used in the United States. Again, some moments of silence from the students. And then Amanda replied, Capitalist. Then it got really difficult for our students. I had to ask them some current events questions because those are on the citizenship exam. Since we live in New York, I asked them, can you name one of the two New York senators that sit in the United States Senate? Cuomo? I reminded our students that Andrew Cuomo was our governor, not one of our federal senators. Then they tried again to name one New York state senator, just simply one by name. Not
3: de Blasio, right?
0: Not one of our three students knew who their state senators were, the senators who sit in the federal Senate. And they are from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer. But none of our students could name them. Next question I asked them, what does the president's cabinet do? Advise the president? Exactly. And finally, I asked our students about the amendments in our Constitution that deal with voting rights. Could they name at least one of these rights?
1: I think it was either the 17th or 18th Amendment, women's suffrage.
0: John was correct in saying women's suffrage, but he did not know the correct amendment number for women's suffrage, which is number 19. So what did we learn from this little exercise? The 2018 U.S. News and World Report that claims that two-thirds of Americans can't pass our own citizenship exam appears to hold true when we ask the same types of questions of our college students who are history majors. This exercise enlightened our students for sure and drove our point home. More time needs to be spent on teaching American history, government, and civics. After thanking Andrew, Amanda, John, and Dr. Tambor for participating in our interview today, everyone left the studio and I got to thinking, who have been our most notable history majors and did they pursue a career in history, I wondered. In modern history, we've had a plethora of history majors. Woodrow Wilson, Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, Dwight D. Eisenhower, JFK, Richard Nixon, Joe Biden, Anthony Kennedy, Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, Anton Scalia, Newt Gingrich, Bill Bradley, Eric Holder, in the business and entertainment field, Robert Johnson, founder of BET, Black Entertainment Television, Lee Iacocca, former CEO of the Chrysler Corporation, Carly Fiorina, former president and CEO of Hewlett Packard, Ben Silverman, CEO, Chairman of NBC Entertainment and NBC Universal Entertainment. Larry David, actor, writer of Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Director, comedian, producer. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, NBA player. Conan O'Brien, comedian, former host of The Tonight Show. Steve Carell, comedian and star of The Office. Jimmy Buffett, songwriter, singer, businessman. Martha Stewart, Catherine Hepburn. Ellen Barkin, actress, and in journalism, Wolf Blitzer, Chris Berman, anchor of ESPN Sports Center, and Bill O'Reilly, to just name a few. So many people who have majored in history. Wow, I guess there's a lot you can do with a degree in history. Let's just hope that you can get one in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today on Civics is Dead. Join us next time when Dr. Alan Singer, who is a professor of teaching, learning, and technology, and the director of social studies education at Hofstra University in New York, joins us to give his views of the sidelining of social studies education in the United States and how daily social studies lessons can be magical. Please be sure to subscribe to Civics is Dead on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice, or visit wcwp.org slash civics is dead. I wish you a beautiful day and great peace in your life.